What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Sam Callahan, who is an absolute superstar. I was blown away with his passion and his knowledge of the Bitcoin space. He is an, a Bitcoin analyst at Swan Bitcoin, and we get into his orange pill story, kind of his origin and his upbringing, kind of what led him to Bitcoin. Uh, you know, his experience at Swan, his previous experience, and what it's like to orange pill in this day and age with massive, massive amounts of inflation. And then we get into six current event stories surrounding the Bitcoin world. We get into the CPI print of 8.3% for year over year, month of April, the shitcoin Luna rug pull, uh, along with Terra USD, uh, also known as UST. Uh, Coinbase and other exchanges, including a bankruptcy risk, uh, kind of leading to not your keys, not your coins. And then we get into uh, El Salvador, Big Balls Bukele, my homie, buying the dip yet again. And as well, uh, releasing the plans for Bitcoin City. Uh, we talk a little bit about the possibilities of that and the positive things we're seeing out of El Salvador. And then last but not least, we wrap it up with the IMF cracking down on Argentina, giving them a loan, but at the same time telling them, hey, you know, you need to crack down on this whole Bitcoin and cryptocurrency bullshit. All right. But as always, everything said here in this podcast is my and Sam's opinion and has nothing to do with Green Candle Investments or uh, Swan Bitcoin's opinions or anything like that. Everything said in this is both opinions of myself and Sam and should be not taken as financial advice strictly for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research and due diligence and now tune in for an absolute killer of an episode. Whoosh. All right, we are back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined with Sam Callahan of Swan Bitcoin, the Bitcoin analyst for Swan Bitcoin. Sam, how are you doing today? What's up, Brandon? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, um, yeah, Sam, so tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Tell us uh, how you got into Bitcoin and, uh, yeah, we'll bring you here today. Uh, my Bitcoin origin story. Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, um, so I, I've been really into central banking. It sounds weird, but like I had been into studying the global financial crisis. Um, this was probably like 2014. I'd studied uh, biology and physics, but I'd always been interested in markets and financial history. So I had studied kind of like all the bad things about central banking and all the histories of financial crises. And, um, you know, when I studied that, it was kind of depressing because I didn't feel like there was any solution because they had become so large, you know, too big to fail, um, just kind of intertwined with the regulation and the governments. And I just didn't think that uh, anything could bring them down, to be honest with you. Uh, but because of that study, you know, when, when Bitcoin hit my radar for the first time in 2017, I kind of immediately knew that, you know, it was a big deal. And so it all kind of clicked because I understood the problem that it solved really well at that point. Um, so in 2017, I really jumped down the rabbit hole, like never looked back, um, just tried to read everything that I could come across. Back then, there wasn't as much educational resources as there is today. 
Um, but there are still some like great educators that you just had to kind of know where to find them. So 2017, just really, I just never looked back and, um, you know, wound up at Swan a little bit over a year ago and now I'm the analyst and I do a lot of the writing and, and, uh, kind of educate our clients about what's going on in the markets and just teach them about Bitcoin. Yeah, I got, I got you there. So yeah, I mean, I kind of joined Bitcoin in a similar time, but you know, I wasn't, uh, maybe as into central banking, my thing was just, I wanted to make, uh, make some money. So I got into it for maybe the, the number go up, but I kind of stuck around for the, the hard money principles. So good on you for getting in there for, uh, you know, the, uh, the central banking, uh, you know, purposes and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your position at Swan. Uh, so a Bitcoin analyst, uh, it's, it's always got me kind of curious, like what, uh, does that entail? Like, I know you kind of, uh, mentioned a little bit about talking to clients and things like that. Like, you know, do you just kind of explain to them like the ins and outs of Bitcoin? Like, you know, what, what, what's an average day of a Bitcoin analyst look like? Um, so I, I do a lot of the, the market commentary, uh, a lot of the writing. So if you've received like a newsletter from Swan, usually I have some kind of rule in that. Um, I do a lot of the research. So on the back end, uh, we released the Bitcoin Canon, which is kind of like a, um, kind of archive of Bitcoin content. And so I was kind of the person collecting a lot of the content and archiving it and doing a lot of the backend research. Um, every month I do like an insight report, which is a deep dive into a certain topic where I really dive deep and it's called run the numbers. So I literally run the numbers on whatever I'm interested in. And it could be anything from like, you know, breaking down uh, inflation last year of like what we're seeing when it was starting to really rise for us. So kind of explaining that to our clients. Uh, to last month, I did a really deep dive into the uh, cross-border payment system and why Lightning is is likely to disrupt it. So it's kind of like I have a lot of free reign. Um, but then there is like ed education about the basics and just teaching our clients about self-custody and things like that. Um, but I'd say my role is more, um, you know, sharing charts, uh, keeping them up to date about what's going on, whatever I find interesting in the market. Um, that's kind of my role at Swan. That's awesome. So is uh, this position at Swan kind of your first into the Bitcoin realm? Yeah, I mean, like, so when I started at Swan, I was actually in client services. So, you know, you get your foot in the door. Um, and then after only a few months, because it's such a fast moving startup, you know, you wear a lot of different hats. It's kind of cliche, but, you know, I really was doing like four different roles um, after a couple of months. And then they just, you know, they, they said, you know, Sam, you, you can write and, you know, we think you got some things to say. And, and so we basically decided that I would take on an analyst role. And then right now I'm the only analyst there. But, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of Bitcoiners at Swan. So everyone's brilliant. Everyone is watching the markets. Um, it's just kind of my direct role to always be focused on the markets and always kind of, you know, educate not just our clients, but internally we have, you know, weekly Zoom meetings, like what's going on in the market so that we can like educate our clients, all our sales team can like know what's going on. I provide them with uh, research or interesting articles. I say like, hey, check this out in case your clients ask about this kind of thing. So um, that, I kind of shifted roles only after a few months uh, and now I do that full time. So it's been good. That's awesome. So yeah, let's bring it back a little bit. So um, yeah, so I, you brought up like your kind of interest in central banking to, uh, you know, kind of get you into the Bitcoin realm. But um, 
you know, did, did, uh, I guess maybe your upbringing from your parents or something that happened, or can you kind of point it to something where you kind of gotten interested in, you know, investing and maybe diving into money principles? Is it something that's just kind of like, you've always been sort of interested in, or, or is there like maybe, you know, a specific moment that you can like kind of think of yeah. like, Hey, maybe this is how it clicked. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I'd say no, like, so like a lot of people, I was pretty financially illiterate, you know, in high school and stuff. Like I, I didn't get taught any of that. Um, but my dad, he was a, a gold bug. He had a lot of distrust for banks and I didn't really understand it. You know, he never really sat me down and I talked to him about it now. And he's like, I just didn't want to make you so cynical so early because <laughs> now we just hash out all the time about it. But, you know, my dad had uh, the sovereign individual and the four turning on his bookshelf both written in 1997, I think. Um, so that's kind of my upbringing. Um, and so to, to age myself a little bit, um, when I went into college, it was the middle of the global financial crisis. And I went into uh, business school and I was really turned off by it. I was really, I, I could see through the bullshit and I saw through the corruption and partly because of my dad, but just because of like, I just saw through it. And when I was in business school, I was like, I just don't want to be a part of this like at all. And I was really interested in physics. So I switched majors to biology and physics. Um, I went down this rabbit hole. I was going to go to med school, all this stuff. Um, and then after I kind of got out of school, I finally had like time after I graduated and stuff to look back at the global financial crisis and really understood what happened there. Um, and that kind of led me down my rabbit hole of central banking, which, which led me to Bitcoin eventually. So I'd say the moment was probably the global financial crisis um, and like kind of how it changed my um, thinking. Also, when I was in business school, they were pushing like Keynesianism dogma on me. And I would always have questions in class and I just wasn't satisfied with any of the answers that they gave me. I thought, I, I thought that was bullshit too. But at the time, I didn't know anything about Austrian economics. I didn't, I didn't hear about Bitcoin or anything like that. Um, but I was just turned off by the lack of critical thinking and really like, didn't really explain things and my questions would get shot down um, because it was against the dogma, right? So, so that's kind of my story. And then, and then when I found Bitcoin, it, it, that's when I really got into like hard money principles and Austrian economics. And then when I found that, I was like, this is what I had been looking for um, way back then. But I, I just unfortunately never, never, you know, came across in my life, but yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, me and, and my former co-host, Dan, we we both went to undergrad together, but then we went to our separate ways in uh, grad school. And we kind of always talked about how we thought that there was like a big lack of critical thinking, you know, like, like you're saying in education, which I think, uh, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners have in common is that we all kind of questioned, you know, what, why is the status quo like it is, you know, central banking, uh, you know, whether the monetary policy or whatever like why are we accepting this two percent inflation this doesn't sound right uh sort of thing um yeah and yeah yeah i mean it, it it's interesting that you know, a lot of the bitcoiners kind of all came to this conclusion and that's kind of what led us a little bit maybe of distrust and things like that or, or or led us to bitcoin in the end um but uh yeah i think that critical thinking is definitely lacking in the education system and i think that you know that's a big issue that that we have to get over um and that, uh, yeah lead a lot of people yeah, I, to make bitcoin and other things 
everyone like wants to get into Bitcoin earlier and all this stuff. But like, if I would have stayed in business school and and accepted the Keynesianism for like not critic, like if I didn't do any critical thinking and I didn't think that it was stupid back then, um, I might have gone through that. I might be working at some bank. And when I started looking at the central banking afterwards, you know, you come at it with a beginner's mind is what Jeff Booth says, right? Like I wasn't tainted with all this other dogma. So I could really view it with fresh eyes and kind of see through the cracks of the system because I wasn't inside the system. So, you know, you, you want to, you want to be early and stuff like that, but everyone has their own journey and, you know, I wouldn't change mine. And, and I'm sure probably you feel the same way because you ended up here and uh, you know, because of your critical thinking. And, and so that's the most important part. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, let's, let's bring it a little bit farther with like Swan and that, that Bitcoin education system. So that the thing that I really like about Swan is it seems like a lot of the mission is to, to educate their clients and educate people that, that are kind of getting into Bitcoin. Um, so, um, and that kind of seems like Swan's mission, mission, at least from like an outsider's perspective of looking in, um, so on that note, uh, how do you kind of go about orange pilling people and kind of bringing in people on Bitcoin? Do you, you know, try to educate them or do you just kind of let them come to you? Like, how do you, how do you approach like orange pilling friends and family? Uh, friends and family, it's a little bit different than, than a client, right? So, um, friends and family, I've kind of learned, they all know I'm the Bitcoin guy at this point, And I've pretty much gotten everybody that I really care about stacking and in self-custody, um, but I've kind of learned with them that you got to wait for them to ask you questions. You can't just like be a fire hose and, and make them do this, um, because then they won't really care about it. And, um, they kind of get turned off when you feel like somebody's trying to sell you something. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's important to understand that your audience and it's important to understand what might resonate with them, you know, their beliefs. So if they are, let's say, I don't know, really into financial inclusion and equality. You can bring up the, those like kind of positives about Bitcoin, the permissionless and how, you know, anybody all over the world can access it with only a phone. Like, and then they'll be like, oh, that's cool. And that kind of like opens the door to it. Like, I didn't know that. So I think really, it's really important to know your audience. And then most of the time I start with the problem instead of starting with Bitcoin. So you can't understand the solution until you understand the problem that it solves. And so a lot of people, financial uh, literacy is a big problem and they don't even understand what inflation is. And they have a bunch of cash in their, their cash account. They don't even think about this stuff. And so usually I don't even start with Bitcoin. Usually I'm, I'm talking about fiat, <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the problems. And once they kind of hear something that clicks, they're like, man, that's messed up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, then we get into Bitcoin and then we kind of talk about it. And then, you know, if, I, if I'm talking about Bitcoin or something, Buddy, I think maybe a, maybe a, like a rookie Bitcoiner who's just like really pumped about it will kind of be all over the place when they explain it and they start jumping from thing to thing. It's, it's, it's easier to just uh, focus really simply on one thing and, and understand that it's a new thing for the other person to kind of wrap their head around. And even though it's more than digital gold, it's a great place to start because people can kind of wrap their heads around that. Like it's digital gold that can teleport, you know, or something like that. Um, and then from there, you can kind of build a base because, you know, you and I probably know it's, it's a lot more than just digital, digital gold. But um, that seems to be a, an easy way for people to begin to understand it. Um, and then I point them to the right resources. And that could be any 
depending on what they like, ask them what they like podcasts, do you like videos, ask them what they like to consume. And then I have my go-to for each, you know, type of, uh, of media. So that's pretty much my, my playbook. There you go. Nice. Yeah. It seems like a good way to go about it. Yeah. And I've kind of noticed too, the same thing is like, if you let people come to you, you're usually a little bit more successful than, uh, you know, necessarily going and hounding them and just saying, Hey, read this, watch this, whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree with you too. For sure. Yeah. And then clients, you know, clients do just, clients are already coming to us cause they're already interested. So it's kind of easier game there <laughs> cause they're like interested in us. They found Swan and they, they have other questions that, and they've kind of like thought about it a little bit more. Um, than just somebody who you're drinking a beer at, at the bar or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now I want to ask you a, uh, you know, a question, maybe a little bit along the lines about, about Swan. So one thing that I think is really interesting that Swan offers is that they have a buy, but no sell button. Um, so I, how do you approach that? Like maybe, you know, you don't have to go into the full spiel about clients or, or anything like that. But if a friend, if you're trying to orange pill them and send them to Swan, what do you say to them when they say, when they get a little afraid, like, hey, there's a buy, but not a sell button um, on here. So what happens if, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. things going on right now, especially they're seeing the big market dips and they say, you know, maybe wanted to get out at you know, X point, um, what do I do or, or how do I approach that if, when there's no sell button on Swan? Yeah, well, um, you know, that, that was kind of the genius of Corey, <laughs> but it's because we don't want them to sell. We don't really think there's any reason to sell and we want them, uh, you know, we want to promote long-term investing. We think that's the way to win in Bitcoin is to hodl and to hold it for a long time and to protect people from their own emotions because um, most people will sell at the absolute worst time. Um, having said that, we, we do have that function. We just don't advertise it. So if a client really needed to sell, um, you know, they could reach out to us and, and we can sell it on their behalf, but we don't put it on the front end. So, so we can't have any like panic selling going on. Um, so that's kind of like the short story. Like if, if they told me they need really, like, I need to sell, I need, like, I have a medical bill, like, you know, we, we can do that for them. Um, but we do that to protect them. And I, I send all, that's why I send all my friends and family there. Like I, my brothers are on there and stuff like that. And they would like right now, like the market's down, like they wouldn't even know how to sell. <laughs> and I don't think I would tell them. Um, but if they really wanted to, like we can do it for them on the back end. I gotcha. So, all right. Well, so let's say that they could figure out how to sell, how would you kind of, uh, I guess justified or somebody that's a newbie that just got in and then say they bought it at 40 and now it's crashing down late. How would you kind of, uh, I guess, sell them to be like, Hey, you know, you're, you're in the right asset right now. Just, uh, you know, hold on for, for a little bit longer or just keep holding on or expand your time frame. How would you kind of sell them on that uh, to uh, I guess lessen maybe the freak out that they have or, or the emotional drive to try to want to sell? Yeah, I just, I like to just remind them like why they initially bought it, which was, you know, all the inflation that we're seeing all the, you know, basically instability that we're seeing in the traditional financial system and owning something outside that financial system and something that you own um, is really powerful and it's really valuable. And so you don't want to sell your insurance when everything seems to be on fire. And, um, and then just making them understand that like, Hey, what, 
when we talked about this when you first bought it, we said that you would hold it for five years. So like, why are you thinking about selling it now when your original plan was to sell it for longer? And then you can throw in a stat, you know, anybody who's held Bitcoin for more than four years is, is in the green uh, historically. And, um, you know, you potentially could be selling at one of the worst times and you might be kicking yourself for years and years and years of selling this. So kind of like a combination of those three things, like, um, you know, why, what, know what you own, know why you bought it in the first place, and then understand that selling when it's down, you know, 15% or whatever it is, um, historically, that's just a terrible decision to make in any investment. So that's kind of, that would be my gist. Yeah, I kind of tell them to zoom out and, and just keep looking. Um, but you mentioned yeah. something there and uh, that kind of ties to the first story. So let's jump into, uh, you know, a little bit of current events that are kind of surrounding Bitcoin and and maybe like, you know, the greater, greater economics of, uh, you know, the globe and, and the United States specifically. But uh, on Tuesday, we had the CPI release of the month of April and that was 8.3%. So it was 0.2% less than March which was 8.5. But, you know, as, as you both, as both you and I know, it's year over year that they present. And so, uh, you know, even though it was like a 2.2% drop, it's still increasing over time. Um, and, you know, rapidly, uh, you know, kind of increasing. And as we zoom out over time too, that, uh, you know, 2% inflation just kind of exponentially grows over time too. So, um, what do you think of, uh, I guess, the strength of the dollar going forward? And uh, do you still view Bitcoin kind of as like an inflation hedge? Um, I guess I'll I guess I'll start with the maybe the second question. Um, I absolutely view uh, Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, and I think if you look at when inflation started to really pick up, which was you know late twenty twenty one. You know, I consider Bitcoin like the ultimate leading indicator uh, because it trades 24-7, the most liquid. It's also, you could, could say, it's still considered, uh, you know, a risk uh, on asset in terms of the general market, how it views it. And so it's, a, it's like a leading indicator of even stocks. It's kind of like before stocks even in terms of its leading indicator. So Bitcoin essentially front ran the inflation because everyone kind of was afraid of that after the March 2020 breakdown. Um, and over the summer, you really started seeing Bitcoin break its all-time high, its previous all-time high, and then start to break out as it as it kind of front-brand the inflation. And so I think it's just Bitcoin's a leading indicator, and then the CPI is a lagging indicator. Um, so so we had that kind of dynamic going on. And then if you look at say Bitcoin when it started to rise over the summer of 2020, before the inflation really started hitting, because it's a lagging indicator, um, if you put it against any other fiat currency. It, from that time onwards, it has performed amazing as an inflation hedge. It has done exactly that. And all you have to do is if you held Bitcoin, your purchasing power is up <laughs> since then. Like that's, that's all you need to know. Um, it's performed great as an inflation hedge. And I think people kind of misunderstand. They expect this to move in lockstep. Um, but that's that's not how it works because one's a lagging indicator and the other's a, a leading indicator. So that's kind of how I, I view it. And then also it's just properties, you know, theoretically should make it a good inflation hedge. It's scarcity um, and its network effect combined uh, should make it a really good inflation hedge. And so I think we'll continue to see that and that'll become clearer and clearer over time. Um, in terms of the inflation in general, 
Uh, yeah, man, it's interesting because the Fed's raising rates and and it it dropped off from uh, you know eight point five to eight point three. Um, still multi-decade highs, still the highest since forty years, even with the the Fed raising rates. So they have to be a little bit uh, worried about that, I would say. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that the transitory narrative was complete bullshit, and that this probably is more structural in nature because we have a lot of things. It's kind of like the perfect cocktail of inflation. Had all this money printing, all this fiscal stimulus, which probably aided some of this like initial inflation. But then you have actual structural issues of you know deglobalization. Um, you still have a lot of supply chain disruptions. We got new lockdowns in China. We got a war that's causing commodities to spike. Um, you know, they said it goes, it went down a little bit because gasoline kind of dropped down. Um, but you know, the CPI measures the rate of change. And these prices are going to go back down to what they were, um, you know, and I'd be very surprised if they get down to 2% anytime soon. And so it's a lot of jawboning boning from the, the Fed about this. And, um, you know, part of me feels like they want the inflation high to kind of melt down the debt that they got. Um, but they also don't want to, you know, hiss everybody off because it's eating away at their savings slowly but surely, especially the poorest among us. So that's kind of my rant on inflation <laughs> but, um you know i see it kind of staying a little bit high because of those structural reasons um unless the fed really brings out a bazooka and you know raises rates like you know 75 bips or something at the june meeting yeah it seems like uh, you know i I'm I'm maybe not as well versed in in uh, you know economics as as you are, but it seems like to me you know that my little time in Bitcoin that um, it's it, that the Fed is kind of kicking the can down the road, so to speak. Uh, that you know a, a recession or or something along those lines, an economic downturn is kind of looming, and that raising rates and uh, you know after this and a, a ton of stimulus that they printed out in 2020, 2021. It's just kind of, uh, you know, an, an inevitable, ugh, inevitable um, you know, thing that's going to happen and that inflation is just going to come and hit us really bad. And, and it seems like it's already, you know, hitting a lot of cities. A lot of major cities are seeing increased rents, housing prices, a lot of things like that. Uh, I just think it's oh, yeah. kind of interesting that the, the stock market specifically and in Bitcoin, um, in, you know, in a lesser extent, you know, maybe the crypto markets are everything, which seem to be booming at initial uh, you know, turn when, um, you know, this money printing was going on is kind of taking a big downturn right now. Um, do you kind of see that because you, you, as you described it, it's kind of like a lagging indicator that everybody's, uh, I guess, maybe fleeing to cash right now because uh, they're seeing, you know, major in inflation and maybe they're kind of worried about a, uh, an economic downturn. Yeah, because like, like all these companies, basically rising inflation is rising costs for them. And so it's starting to eat into their profit margins, um, as well as uh, wages are going up. So businesses, number one costs are labor costs. And when you have people demanding wage increases because they're feeling the inflation, food prices are at all time high. And I've always said this, like people can shrug off high gasoline prices because you can kind of work around it. Like you can try to ride a bike, maybe you carpool, maybe you do all these different things to kind of work around these rising gas prices. But when you feel like you can't put food on the table with your paycheck, you're going to be going into your boss's door 
you know, office, I mean, and uh, demanding a, a raise. And so you're seeing wages increasing. They're not increasing at the same rate as the inflation, but they're increasing. And so these businesses are having increased labor costs plus increased costs of all of their, you know, products and, and everything, their fuel. Um, so that starts to eat into their profits. And then you're seeing, you know, the stock market start to kind of expect that and you're starting to see sell-offs as well as all these other factors, right? So there's just a lot of fear in the market. And um, yeah, that's kind of like how I see it. Um, and I kind of forgot your second half of the question, <laughs> but yeah, man, that's, uh, that's kind of how I, I think about it. Um, and hopefully we start to see it relent a little bit because, you know, I, I really think that inflation is understated. Um, like for instance, rent.com measured increased rent at 22% but the CPI measures it at four and a half percent. And it's just completely understates the inflation that people are feeling. And um, like I said, food prices at all time high and it hurts the poorest people among us. So like, I hope it relents a little bit because I think people are really suffering. And right now they're going into a bunch of credit card debt to try to keep things going, but that's not sustainable. So um, we'll kind of see what happens over the next couple of months, but it should be a, it's an interesting time in the markets for sure. And I think it's, uh, you know, even more interesting you know, when you kind of try to bring people into to Bitcoin because they see the immense amount of volatility. But, you know, when you kind of uh, explain to them, or at least, you know, my experience explaining to them is, is like, you know, it's, it's volatile when you just kind of look at it in dollar terms. And you brought up uh, rent and, and other things about, uh, you know, inflation um, and the CPI reported numbers. I thought it was interesting, too. I, I mean, they couldn't even avoid you know, some of the inflation numbers that they were reporting. Um, so I have it up in front of me. So I'll read off a couple. And, and specifically, I think it's really interesting in the in the energy sector, where, uh, you know, they're looking at fuel and oil, which, you know, in the United States, everybody's kind of, uh, you know, complaining about rising gas prices. That uh, reported CPI year over year is 80.5%. And then we have, you know, energy, um, energy commodities up 44.7%. And then, uh, you know, uh, gasoline of all types up 43.6%. So it seems just like, you know, although they report this 8.3% number, a lot of different things that, you know, to live your day to day life, uh, you know, is rising drastically more than that. Um, so do you in your experience, when you're kind of explaining to people that, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, somewhat of an like Bitcoin, somewhat of an inflation hedge and, and other things like that. When you're kind of going into the weeds of inflation and devaluing of the dollar, um, do you bring up the CPI number at all? Or do you kind of like explain to them, you know, like, you know, you notice that you go to the grocery store and it used to be a hundred dollars. Now it's 150. Um, or, or kind of how do you go about explaining just general inflation to them? Uh, definitely the latter, because honestly, nobody cares about the CPI if you're not in finance. Nobody even knows what the CPI is. I mean, some people might, but um, I, for some reason, I like talking about uh, like baseball games because I'm like, what's the hot dog or the beer that you you drink now? And they're they're always like, oh, I was like twelve bucks for a beer, and I was like, yeah, but it's the same beer, right? It's the same amount of beer. But you can you're now you're paying twelve bucks for it, so it's not that you're getting more value. It's it's that your dollars can't buy as much value as they were before. And I don't know why, but that seems to get the point across really well for people. 
Um, so I guess it's more like the latter of just explaining to them, like, this isn't uh, just like a phenomenon, like, like prices just like magically go up like this. This is like a policy decision. This is what they're doing. And if your, your wages aren't keeping up with that, you're losing because, or if you're, if your money's just sitting in the bank account and it's not growing at the same rate as inflation, that's the Michael Saylor like ice cube analogy. It's like an ice cube melting, right? And so just kind of breaking it down more simply, I find is much, much more effective. And I think it shows um, you know, that you actually understand the subject matter if you could dumb it down. Um, and, and we didn't really talk about this, but I was a, uh, sports physical therapist for a couple of years and i was a director of rehab so i had to explain physiology and anatomy to people that were sometimes they were 14 sometimes they you know didn't have a lot of education but how do you explain really complex topics uh to people in a way that they understand and that's the same thing with bitcoin it's the same thing with finance and so that's what you have to think about it goes back to know your audience and, and know their level of understanding. Am I going to explain Bitcoin the same way to a financial advisor or a hedge fund manager as, you know, my friend who works in construction? Like, no, you have to, you have to switch it up. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I go about uh, explaining inflation. Now, if they were more educated, yeah, I'll bring up the CPI and I'll tell them why it's bullshit and <laughs> we'll go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but but yeah, it's just about understanding who you're talking to. Gotcha, and that makes sense too. And uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, that you have uh, you know more of a physical therapy background because uh, you know, my research in, in in college and grad school was focused focused around biomechanics. So I kind of had the same issue where it was like you know explaining the throwing motion, but uh, or you know I would speak to a coach and they would say you know the Jersey pops this way, or I'd have to get that into more of a technical term to explain to my colleagues and then kind of relay it back to the coach and, and things like that. So you kind of have to know your audience too, the way you're describing it. So uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, you know, the, when you're kind of explaining these complex finance, financial topics, you kind of have to do it based on, you know, your audience, based on who you're talking to. And if, you know, maybe it's just the average person, you got to maybe use a sports analogy or, or bring it to beer because everybody, you know, experiences. I mean, everyone's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And like other, yeah, my, my experience there, it helps me every day at Swan. Like it really does. Um, it's actually easier. Cause you know, when I was a sports PT, I would have, to, they'd be in pain, you know, they'd be having a hard time, <laughs> you know, it's not like, this is easy. Like just like explaining it to somebody over the phone and they're doing fine. I'm doing fine. A lot harder to explain anatomy and, and physiology to somebody who's in a bunch of pain and their life's at like an all-time low so um yeah i think there's a lot of translation between uh professions um that many people don't think about and if somebody's like listen to this feeling like they can't work in bitcoin or something like that just know like there's a lot of translation and uh, if you're really passionate about this you can make it work um that's just my, my little tip there. I, I, I agree with you too because uh you know now i have a job um you know with a bitcoin related company too and um i think it, it's more so like like kind of uh, when you go down the rabbit hole it's it's more like the proof of work right so um the proof of work in the in the bitcoin realm and that kind of brings me to our next topic or um Along the lines of our next topic, so there's been a lot of news around uh, you know, the shitcoin rug pulls that are going on. So if you haven't been following 
Uh, you might be, you know, off of Twitter or somewhere else. Uh, but Luna and Terra USD or USDT have, uh, you know, been absolutely rug pulled. Um, so Luna was trading around, you know, $120, I believe. And now it's under one cent uh, as, at the time of this recording. And then UST, which is supposed to track the U.S. dollar, uh, fell from fell from you know tracking about a dollar to as low as 27 cents uh so you know their stable coin has been anything but stable um so when when you're kind of onboarding people to bitcoin how do you kind of differentiate differentiate bitcoin from you know these other shit coins and, and other projects that are going along yeah well i i actually wrote a two-part series on the swan blog about this it's called uh, why bitcoin is different so you can go check that out if you want, but I'll kind of rehash what I wrote in there. Um, you know, the first thing is just like Bitcoin is leaderless and everything else is a founding team. It sounds simple, but it's actually like a huge difference. Uh, you can't really replicate Satoshi, can't really replicate the grassroots movement that was Bitcoin. You can't, uh, you know, Bitcoin was the invention of digital scarcity and everything else is just kind of a copycat. Uh, if you know who the founders are, uh, you know, that's already a red flag, in my opinion. Um, and then it's truly decentralized, right? So uh, that kind of goes into what I just said. But the fact that the monetary policy has never changed is a testament to its decentralization because it's extremely difficult to change. Um, and if you just compare Bitcoin's uh, monetary policy history with Ethereum's, it's clear as day because one looks like it's run by math and an algorithm very step-by-step step, stays the same. And then you got Ethereum's, which is run by humans, a small group of humans, but it's like all over the place, like the Fed, because they just change decisions and they hard fork. And, and that's a big difference, right? Um, and then the other one is the energy, which is, I have a physics background. So um, I think the energy of Bitcoin is a huge feature. Um, it it kind of levels the playing field for miners and, and creates this fair environment. For, for nobody to cheat because you can't cheat energy. So there's like the, the laws of thermodynamics that underline Bitcoin. Uh, you know, you can never create or destroy energy, can really transfer it. Transfer it. So that is a huge uh, difference between Bitcoin and every other one of these group of stake coins. And um, it's, it's really important to understand that, right? Um, and then the, the scarcity. So, uh, it goes back, they're all kind of connected, but it goes back to the fact that it's decentralized and it's censorship resistant. And that's a function of the 21 million. So if you can't change the monetary policy, you can trust that there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. And that's kind of the whole point. That's how it maintains value, that it maintains its scarcity. Um, if you can easily change it, um, then you can't trust that the supply won't be changed in the future. And so all of these things are kind of intertwined with one another. But it, all of them together make Bitcoin extremely unique. Um, and it takes a special understanding of, of game theory and monetary economics and all these other things to understand that. Um, but that's kind of why I wrote those blog posts to understand there's Bitcoin and then there's shit coins. And a lot of people get stuck into the shit coin cycle where they find Bitcoin and they go, oh, look at these shiny things. And then they kind of lose money and then they end up back in Bitcoin. And I'm trying to get people to, to like, don't do that and just stick to Bitcoin from the get-go and that you'll be a lot, uh, you'll have a lot better time, I think. So that's kind of how I go about that question, but there's, there's more to it. That's why there was two parts to that series. Uh, there's just a lot of explaining to do.
Yeah, I got you. And I'll link those uh, two blogs in the show notes too for so for if anybody listening or watching, uh, if you want to check that out, I'll uh, have it in the comments or the show notes below. So uh, be sure to check out his blog. Sam does a great job of explaining it. And yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of, uh, you know, deeper explanations in there. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, just kind of explaining the de decentralized nature of it, um, just, you know, because I think uh, the big headlines were the Luna network, got, like their blockchain was shut down or shut off. Um, and then they started to back up. And that was kind of, you know, and then it because it lost its peg, that was kind of like why they did it. And I don't know, it, it just kind of, you know, it makes sense there that, you uh, why obviously you know if, if it's run by people and it's not truly decentralized like bitcoin you know in order for something like this to happen with bitcoin thousands and thousands of people maybe even millions of people and and mining machines around the the world would need to synchronize at the same time to completely shut off along with nodes and everything like that and getting everybody to cooperate and that sense of nature you know and some of these miners i'm sure are like to places where uh, you know, maybe they're not like easily accessible or it's not easy to, to turn off. It would be you know, a very difficult task, I think, to uh, truly shut down the Bitcoin network, uh, making it almost impossible. So um, yeah. I think, you know, these these rug pulls and uh, these other things hopefully don't turn people away from from Bitcoin. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of viral tweets go along that say, like, you know, I turned into a Bitcoin maxi today because and I started my DCA uh, because of what what's going on with Luna and, and kind of, you know, maybe trying to gaming or, or buying into these other things. So uh, I hope that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, although people lost some money, uh, that it kind of turns more people towards Bitcoin and uh, towards learning why Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Yeah, man, I think that's a good take. Like, like personally, I have a lot of empathy for the victims. Um, you know, it, that's kind of why I I try to push Bitcoin on people because I want to try to avoid this because people are really hurt out there, man. Like it's 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 real. Like people forget about the, the victims, which are typically retail investors who didn't know. Um, but that there's one highlight. It's what you just said. It's it clearly demonstrates why Bitcoin's different. And you're seeing this kind of change the last couple of days of people starting to get that now. And the problem is that decentralization is one of these things that you don't know it until you need it. Um, and all these things could pretend like they're decentralized, but when shit hits the fan, uh, not only do they prove that Bitcoin, it's they're less secure than Bitcoin, but they also try to actively unilaterally fix the problem. And that's when they know it's not decentralized in the first place. So a lot of these things are decentralized in name only. They're they're false marketing. They're that's what kind of attracts these retail investors in, and then they lose their life savings. And so that's kind of the shitcoin cycle that I'm trying to get people to not go into. Um, and and if there's one positive of this whole Luna debacle, it is that that I think more people are waking up to that fact. Yeah, exactly. All right. So there's unfortunately a lot of, uh, I feel like FUD going along, uh, you know, the lines of this week. Uh, so we're going to kind of another like, you know, viral thing that was going along, along with Twitter, but Coinbase and, uh, you know, other exchanges, I saw Block and their investor um, letter also said this, but Coinbase added a disclaimer that, uh, you know, what would happen to your crypto assets if Coinbase were to go um bankrupt so essentially they would say like 
you know, if, if Coinbase goes bankrupt or Block or, or one of these other exchanges, that the SEC could theoretically seize all of your crypto assets that you have on their exchange. Um, and it's called the SAB121. And uh, I'll be linking that in the show notes as well for those that are interested in looking in on there. But, um, you know, it was it seemed like everybody was kind of like jumping at Coinbase and Coinbase stock fell pretty dramatically, uh, making it seem like, you know, although, you know, it's a fairly strong financial company and you know, it has a lot of other things. And, you know, whatever, no matter what your opinion is about Coinbase, um, it's probably a decent ways away from going bankrupt. But, uh, you know, there's always that chance. Um, so uh, I guess the worries that I have surrounding this is, you know, a lot of people leaving their assets on exchanges and things like that. Do you um, does have you noticed that, uh, you know, maybe in recent conversations or or things like that, that you that because of situations like this, it might be easier to explain, um, you know, why you should get your Bitcoin off of exchanges or, um, you know, I guess on a normal day to day, you know, how do you normally explain you know, why it's safer to self-custody opposed to having it on an exchange like like a Coinbase. Yeah, um, it, with that specific news, like the bankruptcy, like what I understand, you know, that's pretty common SEC disclosure. And I think people kind of ran with it because, I mean, if anybody, you know, was part of the Quadriga fiasco or Mt. Gox, like your funds are tied up in bankruptcy for a long, long time. And yeah, you're not going to get uh, a lot of the times you're not going to get fair value back. And so that's kind of the risks of these things. And um, I, I think people just need to see it in the in the financial documents to really get it. Um, to me, it's waking people up to not your keys, not your coin, which is great. Um, and personally, I think Coinbase is a terrible company. Um, I think they hate their clients. I think they're, they peddle unregistered digital uh, securities. I think they encourage people to trade. So they have like perverse incentives, basically make all their money off trade, the transaction fees. And so they'll never tell people to just save in Bitcoin, even though it's the right thing to do. They'll peddle these shit coins on them and encourage them to all be day traders to make money. They also make their money off coin listing fees and they have terrible due diligence. They literally list scams um, and, and ones that suffer giant hacks and they recommend them. Uh, last month, they recommended their 10 top coins. Bitcoin wasn't even on it. And what was on it was Axie Infinity two weeks after they suffered a 625 million hack. So that's how much Coinbase loves their clients. They recommend coins two weeks after a huge hack on them. And uh, the last thing is the custodial fees. And so they discourage self-custody because they make money off custodial fees, which they're talking about with the, the bankruptcy thing, right? And so, and then they also charge a withdrawal fee to take self-custody of your coins. Um, and so I think Coinbase has terrible culture. I, I don't know a single person who's like a Coinbase super fan. Anybody who's tried to talk on the phone with them uh, knows that their customer service is just atrocious. Go look at Trustpilot. They have like half a star because they're just garbage. And, um, you know, I think that they're a stain on the industry. They're not a Bitcoin company. They're a crypto company. I have a lot of strong views about Coinbase right now. Um, hey, I, I like Go off. Go off, King. <laughs> dude, I just think they... Brian Armstrong has said they are not a Bitcoin company. They're a crypto company. They, he, there's, they had zero presence at Bitcoin 2022. They were a lead sponsor at Permissionless. 
Um, they, like I said, they don't care about their clients. If you, if you type in Bitcoin on their blog, 10 articles come up. If you type in Ethereum on their blog, 10 articles come up. The Ethereum ones, uh, their read time is like 58 minutes total. The, the Bitcoin is like 28. So they're more in-depth articles. They talk about how Ethereum is going to change the world. Very positive. The Bitcoin one, the first four are about Bitcoin cash. Uh, and then they're about Bitcoin gold. They're not even about Bitcoin. And then the, the sixth one is Brian Armstrong declaring that they're not a Bitcoin company. And if you're a beginner and you're searching Bitcoin, trying to learn about it, these are the articles that pop up. And it just really pisses me off because these noobs get, get into these shit coins and they're not taught anything about Bitcoin, even though it makes up almost 50% of their revenue still. So you would think they, they would want to educate people on their number one product, but no, they don't because they don't want them to save. They want them to trade themselves into oblivion. And so I think Coinbase um, deserves scrutiny and, and that's kind of my rant about it, but they're just not a good company, like period. And it's, it's about time that we stood up and, you know, the SEC says self-regulation and I, I just, I, I'm about to release a pretty damning report on Coinbase um, on their listing practices here coming up. And it's a form of self-regulation because I don't think they have clients' best interests at heart. And they are the ones that should be held responsible for this Luna fiasco, for listing shit like Luna that their clients all lose their savings on. Like, that's who the blame should go. It should go to the people peddling Luna, the Doquan, the founder, should be the VCs, and it should be the exchanges that list them and give these things to the public for them to lose their life savings. So extremely critical of Coinbase. And I know it comes from somebody who's like technically a competitor, but I don't even think that's the case because I'm a, I work at a Bitcoin company and they work at a crypto uh, bucket shop. So that's my rant on Coinbase. <laughs> hey man, I like it. I like it. But I mean, I, you didn't say anything that's I think is incorrect at all. You know, I, I think yeah. that at the end of the day, they make most of their money, you know, although it is like 50% of the revenues from Bitcoin, I think that they're, they make higher margins from pumping these shit coins. And I think that that's, you know, they kind of got into the game on Bitcoin and then they realized like, hey, I can make more fiat by doing these other things like pumping NFTs, you know, coming out with that NFT marketplace and all these other things. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're not really looking out for the investor or the their clients at all. Um, so, I mean, I agree with you 100 um, percent. You know, if you were to ask me maybe uh, five or so years ago when I got into it, what exchange to use, I would have maybe suggested Coinbase or some one of these other ones because it was one that was more accessible at the time. But right now, I mean, I, th I think I ran a poll like a, a couple months ago. It was like, what 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 exchange would you use? Uh, to kind of orange pill people. And the top two answers that I got were Cash App because everybody's got it on their phone or Swan because of the educational resources and yeah. things like that that you guys offer uh, compared to like, I, I think I got like zero votes on Coinbase actually. So um, I think, that's you know, everybody that's uh, along the lines of uh, Bitcoin Twitter and kind of gets in the weeds realizes that they charge just a massive amounts of fees compared to everybody else. And that, you know, they just kind of, lead you to these other shit coins that you know like like the situation with luna although it's like really unfortunate it i agree with you there that it's a lot of these people like you know that i don't really blame the average retail investor because like they shouldn't have been exposed to this stuff and i'm sure that there was you know maybe luna articles or maybe emails being sent to some coinbase users like pumping this thing or, or something along those lines where it's like 
you know, they're encouraging people to purchase a shit coin. And then, you know, they make a lot of paper gains at the beginning that they don't sell. And then all of a sudden, like they wake up one day and it's, they lose, you know, thousands of dollars uh, because of yeah, it. And, then they, and then some of them will associate that with Bitcoin and, and they'll not come back. Right. And so it's the, it's the reality that most people, it's still the largest exchange in the United States. There's 98 million verified users and that includes institutions and stuff, but it's usually the first contact with Bitcoin for still a lot of people. It's the, it, they got such a head start. Um, they captured a lot of market and, and everyone knows the name Coinbase. There's like stadiums named after it and things like that. Um, and they don't understand the differences because of the nuance between, you know, we talked about earlier about Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies. And then combine that with their, you know, I would say questionable uh, marketing tactics. Let's just say that. Um, and that's, what, that's why I just get really wild up about it, man, because I don't think it's right. I, I, I really don't think it's right. And I think it falls on, on Coinbase itself and it falls on the SEC for letting this, this go on. Um, because to me, these shit coins are obviously securities. I think they fit the Howey test pretty, pretty clearly. So I don't really know what they're waiting for. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, after all this stuff, uh, maybe we'll see a little bit of a change and um, maybe more regulations on, on shit coins opposed to Bitcoin. But um, let's get into a little bit, uh, I guess, brighter note of the story. So El Salvador, um, they have bought the dip yet again. So I think we're in a really interesting time now where we got recently, you know, the Central African Republic made Bitcoin legal tender and we got El Salvador and uh, Bukele. I like to call them big balls Bukele because it seems like every time there's a, a dip or something along those lines or somebody's testing him, he just dives his feet, you know, right back into Bitcoin. So, um, you know, they announced that they purchased another 500 Bitcoin and the average price of you know, just under 31,000. Um, so how do you, uh, I guess, view Bukele as a whole for, for the Bitcoin space and, uh, you know, the, the country of El Salvador? Um, well, I think big balls Bukele is the right thing. Um, and I think he really is orange-filled. Like, I, you know, I, I've talked with Stacy and Max and they're on the ground there and they, they think that he's the real deal and, and they really, really believe that he, from his, their conversations with him and he's extremely orange build and it takes a lot of guts to be the first one of anything and and right now they're adopting bitcoin and people are like oh a little bit impatient i like, go oh, the volcano bonds uh, delayed and all this stuff i'm like it's it's been months it's like it hasn't even been a year and they're the first ones to adopt bitcoin as legal tender they're a huge guinea pig here um but it but it's it's coming along you know and it's already uh provided a lot of financial inclusion for, for El Salvadorans who have struggled with that for about two decades of failed IMF policy to include them into the financial system. Uh, about 23% of El Salvadorans were, you know, had access to financial services before Bitcoin. After two months, over 60% did. So basically, provided financial services uh, for more people in two months than the IMF did in two decades. So if that's not enough, I don't really know what to say. Um, on top of that, I think it's just going to be, you know, slowly improve. It's a very new thing. It's a developing country and this is a new technology that they're all going to have to get used to. So the fact that he bought the dip is, is amazing. It's, it's, I think it, to me, he's proven it. Like he's kind of proven it himself. Uh, 
you know, if he bought this dip, um, it, it's been a rocky road or in terms of the volatility of the last year. And he's really showing his conviction. Now, I don't want to like put him up on a pedestal because like there's other aspects of him that deserve some criticism. Um, but at the same time, uh, what he's doing for his people to try to provide a more prosperous, stable economic environment um, for the future, it, I think it should be applauded. And, um, you know, anybody who stood up against the IMF in the past uh, usually ends up in like a plane crash or something. <laughs> so <laughs> when you say big balls, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm not really talking about I'm talking about standing up to uh, international financial institutions who have tried to, uh, you know, control their policies and, and trying to take the sovereign rights of this country back. And that takes a lot of guts. And um, that's why I stand behind them, because I think it's about time that more people do it. And I think we're going to see a domino effect where more people uh, see El Salvador and they say, oh, wait, we can stand up to these, these, these goons. Um, and, and so that's what I hope, that's what I'm hopeful for. I think we're, we're going to see it too. So that's kind of my, my thoughts on El Salvador. I think it's, it's the first one. It's, I think we need to be patient. I think Bukele is a big corner, um, you know, through and through. I think he understands it. Um, and I think what he's doing is going to benefit El Salvador in the long run. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think uh, a lot of people like to jump at the first, you know, weakness or crack or something along those lines. And, you know, maybe if it was in the United States or, or maybe a more established company, uh, country, it would be a little bit different. Uh, but I think the size of El Salvador and, uh, you know, just kind of like the economic uh, status of it, too, kind of allows for it to kind of be the guinea pig, you know, go through a little bit of the bumps in the road here or there. Uh, to kind of figure it out. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I definitely I agree with your sentiment there, whereas like some aspects, maybe we don't need to applaud all of it. But I think the way that he digs his feet into the ground and, you know, really believes in Bitcoin and uh, is trying to you know, provide economic freedom to a lot of uh, El Salvadorians is, is definitely should be applauded. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's doing a lot of good for El Salvador. And you know, at the very least, uh, you know, the IMF is now paying attention to El Salvador, which maybe they didn't before. And um, so I think uh, overall, it's, it's been, you know, an experiment for sure. And I think it's, it's been successful in, in the fact that it's getting them, you know, a lot of exposure. And it seems like, you know, like you said, getting a lot of, of their uh, people more banked or, uh, you know, access to their money and, and things like that, too. So, um you know, I, I look forward to seeing the future of El Salvador uh, kind of start to prosper. And I think, uh, you know, maybe a lot of Bitcoiners, too, might be uh, moving out there or venturing out there as well. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. And he's a great memer, too. So you got to respect <laughs> his meme game. <laughs> yeah, he definitely understands, you know, Bitcoin Twitter, too. Um, which is <laughs> yeah, awesome. I think he's been here for a while. I think he's yeah. been working it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny now. Like we're seeing, like you know, him kind of, you know, it was maybe so. Like you know, Obama was kind of the first president where we we had Twitter, you know, and then kind of Trump was in there with you know maybe the mean tweets or here and there. But you know, now we're seeing like all these politicians on Twitter and social media just kind of uh, almost like going at each other, and it's kind of funny to see you know Bukele just so accessible, like replying to people and 
just straight up going at the IMF publicly on a platform like Twitter where everybody has access. So, um, you know, that aspect of it too, I think he definitely understands, you know, the Bitcoin, uh, Twitter, the memes and, and all that kind of stuff too, and, and buying the dip and, and all that. So uh, I think he's really good for the space and, and, you know, taking the risk that he did to be the first country is, uh, definitely should be applauded. Yeah, man, I agree. Yeah. And so along those lines, um, you know, recently he also tweeted out their plans for Bitcoin City. So I don't know if you you saw this, but Bitcoin City is essentially at the uh, base of the I'm not even going to pronounce it, but base out of, of a volcano in El Salvador. And essentially that they're, they're going to use this volcano to uh, you know harness the geothermal energy to mine Bitcoin and uh, to uh, provide energy to the citizens of this city. Uh, therefore, the city will have 0% CO2 emissions. Um, so the uh, construction of the city will be funded through their El Salvador's, uh, or El Salvador's Bitcoin bonds. Um, I believe $500 million will be uh, towards the construction of the city and $500 million will be to purchase more Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you think of, I guess, like the first... Uh, Bitcoin city that seems to be funded around almost like marketing of Bitcoin um, and uh, just overall like the first implementation of a, uh, I guess, bonds and, and funding through Bitcoin as a whole to, uh, you know, fund a construction of a full like state of the art city. Well, the city itself, I mean, it seems like pretty far, far away. You know, it seems a little bit like a marketing thing, but not that I don't think they're like building it, but um, trying to get people pumped, trying to attract people, tourism and things like that. Um, it looks cool. Like the plan, the models look sweet. Like um, I hope it works out. Um, I think the bond is is a huge story. I think that's, that's like I've dug into IMF stuff a lot. And that's the big deal here is that if you could raise funds and bypass the IMF, bypass the World Bank, and not have to use them, um, that's a big deal because that bond doesn't come with any of the IMF's terms and conditions of like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this to get the money. Um, you know, it, it's just Bitcoin. So Bitcoin doesn't discriminate. Bitcoin won't tell you how to use the funds. And so I, I really think the Bitcoin bond or the volcano bond is a really big deal uh, for that reason. And um, it's a way to raise funds um, while maintaining their, their sovereign rights. And, and that's, that's what uh, nations give up when they go into debt with the IMF. And um, so I believe, yeah, like you said, I think half of it was to buy Bitcoin and half of it was to fund the mining operations and, and the city. Um, and we're still waiting for that, that bond uh, to be issued. So we'll see how the, the, uh, if it's oversubscribed or how, how, how that works out. I think it will be. Um, and I think it will be just because there's a lot of people who hate the IMF and who want to support somebody who's trying to support Bitcoin and do something different. And I think people, there's a lot of Bitcoiners all over the world that were buying into that bond um, just to signal that, <laughs> literally. Um, and so I think it's a really cool idea. I think mining with geothermal is an amazing idea. I think they have access energy and you know, it's all a good idea. Um, I'm not a miner, but it comes down to execution. It comes down to building out the right operations and, and being smart about that. Uh, you could, you know, you could mess up. So that's why they're bringing in Bitcoin experts. That's why Samson was there and, and all these things to help them 
uh, make sure that they kind of execute and, and they don't uh, misallocate those funds. Because uh, in a way, they kind of get one shot at this thing, right? So, you know, I think it's really cool. And we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, like you said, they're the guinea pigs. So this is kind of like an experiment. And um, I'm excited and I'm excited to see what happens. And maybe in 30 years, uh, Bitcoin City will look like Singapore or something. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to kind of watch this all play out in real time. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are skeptical about, uh, you know, Bitcoin becoming legal tender and things like that. But, you know, you've seen El Salvador's infrastructure, you know, go up a lot of people coming and visiting and things like that. So kind of like we discussed in the last segment that it, there's been a lot of positives, although that, you know, the volatility has kind of gone down and maybe, uh, you know, might be lower than their cost basis at this point. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, overall, like, like we've been kind of hammering is that they're the Guinea pig, there's going to be some bumps in the road and, uh, you know, there hasn't been enough bumps in the road to discourage other countries as we saw, you know, the central African Republic kind of get on board and do that. So I think a lot of these, uh, you know, maybe smaller countries will kind of get on board and, uh, you know, maybe name uh, Bitcoin as legal tender going forward, but um, I think it'll kind of start the uh, the domino effect to uh, kind of encourage countries like, hey, you know, look at what we're doing over here. You're creating this full city, state of the art, all this stuff uh, based on some of the excess energy that we have in our own country, and we're harnessing that to make you know this you know incredible city. And and I think uh, you know maybe a lot of these smaller uh, countries might see that and and uh, decide that like, hey, you know, they're doing it. Let's maybe get some advice from them and and let's move forward on on making Bitcoin legal tender as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. Yes. Yeah, man, I, I think so. I think so. I think I think we're just at the start and it's exciting and we're at the start of this sovereign debt adopt or sovereign uh, market kind of starting to adopt Bitcoin and it's really exciting. It's really exciting. If you would have told me like a few years ago that sovereign nations would be like putting in legislation to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, I think I would have been like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was like, I got more Bitcoin, I got to buy more. Um, so it's super exciting. It's, it's kind of like playing out how how we thought it would play out. And really, it's just the game theory. It's just incentives. And it's incentives in Bitcoin that are powerful to adopt it. And it's also disincentives in the fiat system. Uh, that's making people really question if there's a better way. Yeah. So along those lines of, uh, you know, smaller countries, um, well, maybe not smaller countries as in population wise, but Argentina, um, their central bank has come out and kind of said that they want to prevent or disencourage people from, uh, you know, making Bitcoin and and crypto transactions. What I thought was really interesting is, you know, you look at Argentina's inflation, uh, their March numbers that that they published was 51.3% inflation for year over year. um, And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. But I think the interesting part of this story is that the is that Argentina cut a deal, a $45 billion deal with the IMF to avoid defaulting on their debts. And, uh, you know, they then coincidentally, you know, a little bit later, their central bank of Argentina is now trying to discourage the use of cryptocurrency. So um, do you kind of see that this kind of being a roadblock going forward is that the IMF is kind of going to start 
you know, maybe if they, they cut a deal with a country or, or do something along those lines that they're going to say like, hey, in order for us to cut this deal, you're going to need to, uh, you know, discourage the use of Bitcoin and other other cryptocurrencies to a lesser extent. 100%. 100%. This is what they do. This is what the IMF does. With Argentina specifically, the relationship with the IMF and Argentina is ridiculous. Like it's, it's literally, there's multiple books on it. Um, I, Paul Bloomstein wrote a book. I forgot what it's called. The money kept rolling in, I think. Um, but they defaulted, like, I, I don't know how many times. I think it's like, this is like the fourth or fifth time or they defaulted and so it really speaks to the imf because this is what the imf does they, they entrap nations in debt so they basically have economists come in and they say hey we're going to build this uh you know we're going to build this amazing new uh electrical grid it's going to provide this much gdp we're going to buy we're going to build highways our economists did all these modeling it's going to bring this amount of gdp growth it's going to be great take out all this debt well, it always comes up short and they always, it's misallocation of capital. There's corruption at the government level, especially in Argentina, a lot of embezzlement. Um, the funds aren't used properly. It never returns the GDP growth at the IMF and now they have a huge debt burden to deal with. And so what do they do? They, they come back to the IMF. And so the, the IMF creates, uh, you know, these nations depend on the IMF because of the amount of debt and then they just bring on more debt. And then it's the cycle where the IMF makes them even more dependent on them. And so basically creates their own business because that's what the IMF is. And so with each loan that, that Argentina gets, the IMF asks for more. Okay, we'll give you this loan here. And they're they're struggling, right? So the hyperinflation, uh, you know, they're going through a lot of unemployment. Argentina is going through hard times. So they need this debt. And so it's like they're drowning and the IMF has, you know, uh, life preserver and they're like here you go you can have it but but you got to do this and each time is chip away at the so the sovereign rights of that nation and make them do their policy choices which just so happen to be terrible and they hurt the poor the most they cut healthcare, they cut education um and they cut the things that actually really help people the most um and then this time with the, the stipulation so the terms and conditions of this loan was Oh, you can't use Bitcoin, among other things, probably, but oh, you can't use Bitcoin. And so this is what you're going to see the IMF do. Um, but the thing is, they're going to lose because right now there's competition that's creeping up behind them for the first time in almost 100 years. And it comes in the, uh, the form of this open monetary network that can be used by anybody. And they've been, uh, you know, just uh, abusing uh the relationships with their borrowing countries for way way too long um you know if you know anything about argentina there's i mean there's almost an imf riot seems like every single year there um from the people on the ground that are actually hurt by these policies so yeah i'm really not surprised um it, i think it shows how scared they are um they don't want a country as big as argentina to follow suit like el salvador um, but they're gonna have to do this to every single country um, because every single country has been abused by the IMF. I mean, I could name off like 50 off the top of my head that have been abused like badly by the IMF. And then I could probably name a hundred that have been mildly to, to badly abused by the IMF. So they're, they're going to lose, man. And that's what I'm, I hope to see one day. So 
kind of pisses me off, but um, I'm more empathetic for the people of Argentina the most because they're going through about 60% inflation or something right now. And at the time when they need Bitcoin the most, the IMF is going, nope, can't have that. Uh, let's get more debt. That, that'll do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think you nailed it on the head there. It's like the time that their their people need it the most is when they're going to crack down it and push against it. You know, just anecdotally too, I have a, a friend whose whose family has our, whose family's from Argentina and they have like a house or or maybe a couple properties out there and they're looking to sell it. And they were talking about, you know, potentially doing it in Bitcoin because of, you know, how volatile that their, you know, currency that they use in Argentina is. And he was asking me, you know, that what's the best way to do it? You know, can, is it possible? All this and that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, 100 percent. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he asked me that maybe like a, a week or so ago. So and then this news came out like right afterwards. And he's like, yeah, now my dad and, and all that is worried about you know, just dealing with it. So it's, it's really unfortunate, even when, you know, Bitcoin has so much volatility, and we see these massive swings, you know, we're a little bit spoiled here in the United States, where we, we see maybe like, you know, 8% inflation numbers being reported, where in other countries, you're seeing, you know, this 40 to 50% number being thrown out. So um, yeah, 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 like, uh, the thing Argentines have been they've been dealing with inflation for a long time. They're almost like experts. I feel like, like there's been, uh, you know, black markets for dollars, uh, you know, for a very long time. And I think there'll be black markets for Bitcoin. It probably already is, but like they'll figure out a way to use Bitcoin. Um, this, this is like shutting down adoption at the banking level. Um, but they're resilient people, I think. And I think they'll, they'll figure it out. But, um, it's really just a, a top-down crackdown, um, and it, it's really tragic because, like Argentine, Argentines, like they, their government has been very corrupt too. It, it's not just the IMF's fault. Like it's probably unfair to like put all the blame on the IMF because there's also, you know, part of the responsibility lies at the the government level, and and so they've had a lot of problems with corruption there too. Um, so the people of Ar Argentina. Um, very strong people that have gone through a lot. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of hyperinflations, and um, they'll figure out a way to, to use Bitcoin. I think so. That's what my my hope is. Yeah, I think uh, you know they've unfortunately had to learn the hard way, and uh, you know through just you know the, their economic policies and everything that their country's kind of forcing them through. So. Yeah, I hope it kind of leads them all to Bitcoin and they, uh, you know, see the, the true power in it. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know, we've kind of mentioned how your, your, your writings at Swan Bitcoin, but why don't you sign us off and tell us, uh, you know, where we could find you and what else you got going on? Uh, yeah, man. I, so I'm always on Twitter, like everyone else. That's where I share a lot of my, my thoughts and I do some threads on there, uh, share, share, share charts and stuff. So you can find me at, at Sam Calla, S-A-M-C-A-L-L-A-H. You can check it, uh, check out Swan at swan.com. We, uh, basically we offer a lot of different, uh, services around Bitcoin. So if you're a business and want to, you know, have Bitcoin, if you want Bitcoin for your employees, we have Bitcoin benefit plans. If you want to gift Bitcoin, you, you can gift Bitcoin to somebody. I find that's a great way to orange pill. Just give some sats. If you're a high net worth individual and you want to buy Bitcoin, we have a white glove service that can help you and answer all your questions. 
so that's kind of my show of swan but you can go to the blog on swan too and i, I do a lot of writing on there as well so um check check me out check me out on twitter uh, check out swan.com and um yeah brandon thanks for having me man i'm a big fan of green candle I, i've checked out some of your guys charts uh every once in a while they pop up so good stuff over there and uh, thanks for having me on man it was a good conversation yeah, man, I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay connected for sure. And I hope to interact you, with you a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I know you do the, the cafe Bitcoin spaces as well every now and then. Uh, yeah, so, man, uh, that's, a good, that's a good little show. That's Alex and um, uh, my buddy Jacob's the producer there. And uh, they really got a good thing going on there. So I like going on and uh, drinking a coffee and just talking Bitcoin every morning. So you can check that out on Twitter spaces, Cafe Bitcoin. And uh, it's a good time. It's just Bitcoiners hanging out, talking Bitcoin, market developments. And uh, if you listen to it, you you understand what I'm talking about. It's just kind of like good vibes. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, Twitter spaces is definitely uh, a growing medium to, to kind of learn in like freeform conversation. So I really, really enjoy those. And yeah, if, uh, if anybody listening here hasn't checked that out, I really do encourage you to hey, I, at least just sit in and listen. You don't have to get up and talk or anything like that, but there's always a great conversation. So Sam, thank you so much for your time today and all you do in Bitcoin. Um, and uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have you back sometime on the future. Would love to. Would love to, man. You have a good night, okay? All right, man. You too. Have a good one. Cheers. All right.